Hello, Tony G Nation. Another episode of the Tony G Show is here. I'm here with my partner, Will McCormick. Say hi to the people, Will. Hey, people. I'm Tony G. <laughs> hey, people. Now that we've said hi to the people, let's get, uh, let's get our show rolling. Oh boy. What do you think? Hot start. Hot start. Before we get into today's show, a couple stories to mention. First off, uh, this week in Tony G Nation, we have the episode today, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Then w- Wednesday, tomorrow, I will be going to collab with another sports talk podcast. Ouch. I haven't told you about that, Will, prior to this story. I you. wanted to see your reaction live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to another sports talk podcast to collab with them. It's the Root for Wisconsin show. The main guy, you know, it's a show with like three, four people. And one of the guys who has like put it all together is a huge sponsor of the show, you know, someone who continuously advertises it and is like the main piece of it. His name is Eric Fisher. Nice. Eric Fisher works for the fan along with me. So him and I have had a great relationship for the last couple of years working for the fan, the local sports talk radio station in town here. And he started this podcast about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And ever since then, actually about a year and a half ago, it was about fall of 2020. So ever since then, it's really been uh, picking up. And ever since then, keep in mind that was about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. We're like, hey, we should collab on a podcast, you know, build off each other's audiences and get some sports talk, you know, collab. And we have kind of neglected that. Both (laughs) of us have. Like, hey, we should get to, like, every time we see each other, hey, we should collab. Oh, yeah, hey, we should collab. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, hey. And now we're finally going to get to it. There we go. So tomorrow we are going to record that, and it'll come out on the Route for Wisconsin show. I don't know if it'll come out. On my podcast, I don't know. I still have to talk through some of the details. I've never collabed with another podcast before, mm-hmm. so I don't know how this all works. If we both put the same episode on both of our podcasts, or if one just does the podcast, I'm going there to do it. At the very least, you'll tweet about it. At the very least, I will tweet about it, so you will be able to see that somehow. And then Thursday, we are back for another episode of the Tony G Show, we being Will and I, and we will discuss Will's favorite subject in baseball. That'll be our MLB season preview for the 2022 season, and I'm so excited. Me too. I'm just, I'm, I'm over the moon excited because Thursday is opening day for Major League Baseball. Is it really? Yes. Nice. Thank you for knowing that. Yeah. How the heck? <laughs> Listen, it's the most popular sport in the world, and you're telling me you don't know that it's in the United the States opening day in the world, not the world, Tony. in the world, you not heard even about close. The world Baseball Classic, not even close. World famous baseball. Not to mention America. Yeah, America, sure. America's pastime. Not the world. But the world? No. Greatest sport in the world, at least. You want to argue most popular. Greatest sport in the world. Baseball returns to America on Thursday. Are you okay? I'm holding back <laughs> my laughter. I'm holding back my laughter. Did you hit your head last night or something? Going. No, I didn't. You didn't? Okay. I have to no. take in for a checkup or something. It seemed like... <laughs> So that'll be our MLB season preview show on Thursday. But today we do have a show, I think, right? We're going to get to a show at some point. I got to leave now. Okay. (laughs) So I'll get to the show at some point. Today we're talking college basketball, the national champion, Kansas Jayhawks. Congratulations to the Jayhawks. We'll talk about the Final Four and the national championship. Conclude college basketball. This will be the last time we ever talk about college basketball for the Tony G Show. Big sad. Big sad. (laughs) That is kind of crazy, actually, though, to think. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy good, stuff. Good good, uh, way to end it out, though. Some good games to yeah. talk about. So The Final Four were some great games. How about the instant classic between UNC and Duke? Mm-hmm. Final Four, that classic rivalry boiling down 
in Coach K's last game in the Final Four. We'll talk about that in the national championship in segment number one. Then segment number two, Devontae Parker got traded from the Miami Dolphins, and it infuriates me because I think he got traded for three, maybe four footballs and a tee, you know, yeah. like a tee that kickers kick off of and stuff like maybe that. Maybe like a bag of buttons or something yeah. up there. Yeah, I think um, some sequins, too, they mm-hmm. just sent to Miami. I mean, that trade was literally so lopsided, I could not believe it. And, you know, it makes me mad because there's another team that could have went out and got them. <laughs> right. Cough Green Bay Packers, you know, for that. But whatever. We'll talk about that in the second segment. And then Masters predictions. So we will get to golf and talking about the Masters. Usually we do this on Thursday, but with Thursday being opening day, again, opening day was pushed back because of the lockout. So that's why all three of these sports are converging with college basketball, baseball, and golf. So Thursday is going to be all baseball, so we won't be able to talk Masters before the Masters this weekend. So we'll talk it today in the final segment. College basketball, Devontae Parker trade in the NFL, and then the Masters predictions. That is our show. Do you have any rebuttal, Will? No. Okay. Me neither. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. He's at Willis5312. I'm at Tony G Nation on Twitter. Follow us. Subscribe to the Tony G Show wherever you listen to podcasts. TonyGNation.com. All the more Tony G Show stuff. This is Season 8, Episode 16 of the Tony G Show. You are listening to the 8th and final season of the Tony G Show. 8 seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. We got some mood lighting in the studio today. Mm-hmm. Nice little candle lit. Yeah, little ambiance. The f- <laughs> ambiance. <laughs> the flame is ablaze. That's all. That's yeah. all. I just wanted to oh, say okay. that we had a candle going. I didn't know where to go with that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that there was any real direction <laughs> yeah. for that besides the fact that there's a candle. Well, we can transition from that flame to the flame that was March Madness. Hey, hey, Will. Come on, man. Killing it. That is, hey. That was real bad. <laughs> no, it was good. That was a good transition. Now just keep building off of that for the rest of this episode. Sure. Eliminate the dad jokes. Yep. And you'll you'll have an A-plus rating by I'll the end only, of today. I'll only chime in for transitions and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I have for college basketball. Will, what are we doing next? Uh, see what's on the docket. Devontae <laughs> Parker. <laughs> all right. That practice run didn't go as smoothly as nope. I thought it would. But nope. we'll talk... College basketball, the national champions have been decided. It's always weird. It's always such a weird feeling, at least to me, that when you get through the March Madness tournament, it's like sad. Like mm-hmm. it is like defeating. Like it's it's like a bittersweet moment because you get this national champion and you know, who could have asked for a better final four with games and they were so good. The national championship was a really good game. Games the entire tournament were so good. So it's worth it to watch and spend all this time following college basketball. But it's always sad because, yeah, you know, I think back to just a couple weeks ago, and it's like there's 32 games, there's 60, round of 64, 64 teams, there's 32 games on, then the next week, or then two days later after the round of 64 that weekend, it's the round of 32, and there's 16 games. And it's like everywhere you look, there's college basketball, there's a big three being hit or there's a, a slam dunk and it's like you just can't look away from college basketball because there's so much of it going on. And then you fast forward two weeks and all of a sudden it's over. 
Like it's gone. Mm-hmm. Like you, there's just one game remaining, and then it's it, and then and then you're done then until November. Yeah, it's March Madness to April Sadness. Yeah. <laughs> Will, come on, man. Right? You are on the money today. March Madness followed by April through November Sadness. Yep. For college basketball fans, good for you. But yeah, let's get into the recap of the Final Four. The entire tournament boils down to the Final Four and the National Championship every year. That's how the tournament worked. That's actually how all tournaments work. I don't know if you know that. But mm-hmm. that it boils down to like four teams left and then two teams left and then just one team standing. So we'll start with the Final Four. We'll start with the least entertaining of the two games in the Final Four. Kansas beating Villanova, a one seed beating a two seed, 81-65. to And that was a game that Kansas controlled from the beginning. Villanova never really got into it. They were down like 10-15 early on in the first couple of minutes of that game. And it was just like, you know, it's Villanova. That's a team that's won a national championship. That's a team that has NBA talent on it and has had NBA talent on it in the past that is currently in the NBA. Dante DiVincenzo has won Mm -hmm. the former Buck. So, like, it's Villanova. You don't take Villanova lightly. But in that game, it was just like Kansas controlled from the very get-go. And you knew, you know, and it's like, the final deficit was about 16 points. Kansas won by 16. And to me, that's still not indicative of how much Kansas controlled that game. Like from the very like opening tip, it was like Villanova just never had any momentum. Kansas just controlled and dominated on defense. It was a very hard-pressing game for Villanova to try to break through. Not to mention that these are two teams with history recent history in the march madness tournament it's a rematch of the final four in 2018 and it's a rematch of the elite eight in 2016 so both these teams knew each other well and if you recall from past shows the last couple of shows that i have taught college basketball i said listen kansas just looks like the fullest team on the market right now they can shoot they can play defense we saw that last night we'll get to that in a moment but They are well-coached. Bill Self is a great coach with a lot of experience. And it just looked like Kansas was the better team in that Final Four matchup on Saturday. And they looked like it all tournament long. I underestimated them coming into this tournament. I didn't have them going as far in my bracket. But, I mean, they really proved me and a lot of people wrong because of how they played. I mean, that is a a very good basketball team. And I'm not just saying that because they're the national champion. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they lost to UNC last night, who was – completely on a tear had all the momentum in the world as an eight seed yep knocking off teams upsetting teams every time they played a game in this tournament if it wasn't you know if unc would have won that game i still would be sitting here saying kansas was the better team yeah just the better more talented team more well put together team more fluent team and they look like it in that final four they shot 54 percent from three and 54 percent from the field in that game against Villanova, and it was just Kansas playing like Kansas. Like mm-hmm. I said in the last couple of shows, the Jayhawks looked like – that was Jayhawk basketball. To a T. To a T. And I think this is the best Kansas has looked ever, and of course it goes without saying because they just won the national championship right. for the first time since 2008. But, I mean, this was a really good basketball team for a lot of reasons. The other game, the highlight game, the game that everybody around the world was watching – was Duke, North Carolina. These are two teams with a lot of history. The Duke-UNC rivalry has been alive and well for a lot of years. These are two teams that play each other well, know each other well. If you want to talk about Kansas-Villanova with some experience and some history, talk about Duke, North Carolina. 
and not just in recent years. How about this year? Mm-hmm. Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, the head coach of Duke for the last couple of decades, his final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium for Duke, because he's retiring after this year, lost to North Carolina. North spoiled. Carolina came in, spoiled his last home game, and then what are the odds? You know, it's only a storybook ending that they meet in the Final Four. I predicted, when we predicted the Final Four uh, the last time we came around on the Tony G Show, I predicted that Duke would win. Duke I thought would they get would. their revenge. It just yeah. seemed like, you know, not just because they're the higher seed, you know, the two seed playing the eight, eight seed, but it just seemed like this would be the game that Duke would fight back and get their revenge. I think North Carolina knew that they were going to get the best Duke team mm-hmm. that there had ever been. Yeah. I think we've said it before, but it's really hard to beat a team twice. Oh, yeah. 100%. Really hard. Especially with a mind like Coach K that just understands the game of basketball that well, can cater their team to counter. Cause, you know, like an eight seed like UNC, you kind of expect them, yeah, they can win one against Duke. Yeah. They can kind of get a sneaky win. But two in a row, that's that's pretty telling. That's pretty telling. Well, this is a team, a North Carolina team that was ranked middle of the pack in, the, in terms of the top 25 for the majority of the season. This is a team that was an eight seed. So it's not like they are trailblazers or not like they are world beaters. I mean, this isn't the Harlem Globetrotters that they're playing. This is North Carolina. But the fact that they played Duke this well and actually beat Duke, mm-hmm. you know, we're sitting here talking like Duke won. North Carolina did get the win, 81 to 77. But it was just like this was. And the fact of the matter is about this game was it was an all time classic, an instant classic. I texted a good friend of mine, janitor of. Tony G Studios, Christian, mm-hmm. and I said, this game is an instant classic before the game was ever over because it was from opening tip. Like, they took halftime and just picked up right where they left off. It was back and forth and back and forth. It was three. It was three. It was missed three. It was missed three. It was two. It was three. It was just back and forth all game long, an instant classic, and, of course, it came down to the final couple of seconds. You would have loved to see a game like that going to overtime because yeah. that's the type of game that just should not end. Like, a storied rivalry, two teams playing their heart out to get to the national championship. Like, that's a that's a game that I need, like, three more quarters of overtime for. <laughs> like, I yeah. can't have this game end in regulation. It did end in regulation, but still. And how much more classic would it have, would it have been if it was Duke under Mike Krzyzewski playing North Carolina under Roy Williams? I mean, how amazing would that have been? Those two storied coaches, Roy Williams retiring – just last season, mm-hmm. and Hubert Davis taking over the program, doing a great job. I'm going to talk about Hubert Davis when we talk about the national championship because of the exceptional job that he has done for UNC. But how much more classic would this game have been if it was Roy Williams versus Coach K one final time to get to the national championship? That would have been pretty cool. It would have been insane. But with all else being said, before we move on to the national championship, so we have the national championship game set, one seated Kansas hosting the eight-seeded North Carolina. Down in New Orleans. So we'll get to the national championship in a moment. But I got to say goodbye to Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Mm. A lot of people have come out on Twitter just bashing Duke basketball and Coach K. Now it has been dirty. Christian Leitner and stuff like that. and uh, Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen, thank you. It has been dirty. Coach K's ride at Duke. But he's been successful. He's been winning. And I just want to reiterate before we move on. This is a point that I made just a couple episodes ago on the Tony G Show. Don't hate Mike Krzyzewski because he wins. If you want to hate him because he beat your team, whatever. But don't hate him because he wins. 
That's what that's what people are getting at. Mm-hmm. I've I've gotten so much flack too for being on Coach K's side throughout this entire final season, where everyone is coming after Coach K, everyone is coming after Duke because of the brand of basketball that they play. And I've been sitting here on their side, man. They're winning. Mm-hmm. They're they're a winning basketball team. They didn't make the national championship, but they were in another Final Four. And people are ask, acting like this is like oh you know they suck. This is a winning basketball team, all right? This is one of the best college basketball teams in the world, and you can't deny that fact. And you hate it because they are. You hate it because they're better than your team. You hate it because, you know, it's Coach K, and he's been successful throughout the course of his entire career. Goodbye, Coach K. I don't care what anyone else says. Do you think you Coach, will be missed. Do you think Coach K is a system coach? <laughs> <laughs> I do not. He's just a role player. He's just a role player. <laughs> what? As the head coach? No, he is I'm all kidding. of it. Yeah. You, he's the kind of coach you'd love him if he coaches your team, hate him if he doesn't. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, see, if you are a Duke fan, what is your stance here? He's pretty good. <laughs> exactly. He's pretty good. Man, yeah. I'm going to miss him because yeah. he won. But if you're not a Duke fan, then, well, and I guess that could work against me. And he's but, the worst coach in the world. But exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess it could work against me that I just made that point. But either way, mm-hmm. goodbye to Coach K. You'll be missed by me at least. By me at least. One of the better coaches to ever do it. Now on to the national championship. You want to talk about instant classics. And you want to talk about good games. And you want to talk about solid teams. Then let's talk Kansas versus North Carolina. One seed playing an eight seed. For Kansas, this was their 10th national championship appearance. They were 3-6. and six with wins in 1952, 1988, and most recently in 2008. And then they just added their fourth win last night in 2022, beating UNC by a score of 72-69. to Another very good game. They overcame a 16-point deficit, the largest national championship comeback that has ever been, like points-wise, was 15 points. A team came back mm-hmm. from 15 points to win the national championship. Now Kansas just did it last night from 16 behind Came back and went. So they now hold the record for the largest comeback in a national championship game. It looked like for a while there that it was going to be a blowout win for it North did. Carolina. It did. You know, and that's the thing is that North Carolina was playing so quick. Mm-hmm. And in that game, watched the whole game, sat right here in Tony G Studios with the janitor, uh, Christian, watched the entire game. And from opening tip, you know, it was close. It was a good game. But there was that time when North Carolina just had that momentum. Mm-hmm. And I said – to the janitor Christian, they said, UNC is just not letting Kansas get open shots. I mean, that's the thing with Kansas. They're that team built for the three ball. They're that team Mm -hmm. built for a mid-range. And UNC was just in their face defensively all night long. There was no open looks being attained from Kansas. And so they went into halftime down 15, uh, at one point down 16, and they had to adjust. And they did that very well Mm -hmm. they started playing defense there was a couple consecutive because i think it was like four or five straight possessions with unc having a turnover yeah like they just got to the other side of the court and then just lost the ball because of the defense kansas was playing and then of course kansas is going to roll down the court and capitalize on it right so kansas plays like a methodical type yeah offense and 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 unc was high energy basically yes that's pretty much what it was i think that's a good synopsis of it and to make it even more simplistic, it was like, these are two good basketball teams going at <laughs> You'd mm-hmm. love to see that type of national championship uh, between two phenomenal teams. So what had happened was Kansas finally got out ahead after battling back in this game. 
and they held UNC to where they were. And the thing, it, it boiled down to that final, uh, I'm trying to put it into minutes. I'm going to say four minutes where UNC really stopped playing their band, b- brand of basketball. Yes. They had yeah. turnovers. They had missed shots. Forced. For, they forced a lot of shots into traffic, not to mention that they lost Armando Baycott with an injury. He rolled his ankle again. It's it's astonishing to me that the roll ankle or a sprained ankle is an injury that once you do it once, like it'll never leave mm-hmm. you. Like imagine Steph Curry in the NBA when he like when his was in, was in the middle of his MVP prime years, and then rolled his ankle and then rolled it again and then rolled it a third time and then sprained it and then it was like like once this injury creeps up on you and, and finally nabs you, it's there. Ankles are terrible. It's a hard thing to overcome. They're, I still. Like back from my days playing soccer, my ankles are still like I have moments where I hurt myself to this day because of just oh, I believe it. tweaking it, you know, once yeah. way, way, way back. And it just, you know, happens all the time. It's terrible. And Baycott is a huge part of that team, has been all season. A guy who played 38 minutes before getting injured and had 15 points, nine rebounds as well, or excuse me, 15 rebounds. I read the defensive rebounds. So he had a double double. And. Goes down with that injury, and it was like, now North Carolina has to rally all of a sudden, and they mm-hmm. don't have a lot of time to do it. So, Kansas ends up getting the win, 72-69. to And Kansas gets their fourth national championship. Great for Bill Self in Kansas. But here's the thing. I want to I talk about Kansas basketball for a moment. We'll talk about UNC, but I want to talk Kansas basketball because they're the national champions of the season. And a team that I believe deserves it because they played so well, a team that plays – at a high pace and a high level, and it's a team that I thought, you know, if they really get going, I don't care who they play. And I didn't predict this. Even, you know, I thought Duke was just on that magical run for mm-hmm. Coach K. I thought they were going to win it all. But Kansas looked like the better team. I mean, they were one of the best teams. I'm going to go ahead and say it, and, you know, it's not like it's a hot take or anything because they yeah. won the national championship. I get it. But they're the best team in college basketball. I mean, they just played at that level. They didn't let you get any – ounce of friction against them I mean they're just a strong team but I want to take this in a different lens for Kansas because coming into this elite eight or sweet 16 weekend a couple weeks ago Bill Self had said that Kansas needs more championships and that really resonated with me because it's like you always think like when you think college basketball if you had to rank like the top five teams like consistently from mm-hmm. year to year to year, you'd think of the Kentuckys, you'd think of the Dukes, you'd think of the Gonzagas, you'd think of Baylor, and then you'd throw up there Kansas because mm-hmm. it's like they're the Kansas Jayhawks for years. They're good in the early like 2010s, or exactly like from t- 2008 when they won that national championship to about 2013 14. It was like Kansas and Kentucky and Duke are the top three teams in college basketball, and it's going to be that way for a long time. Yep. But when you think about it. Duke has multiple national championships. Kentucky, multiple national championships. Kansas had the one in 2008 and then has not gotten to the point where they have another one until this season. Why did that resonate with me so much? Who does that sound like? Sounds Mm -hmm. like we're from a Wisconsin market. Mm -hmm. 15 minutes away from what stadium? Uh, Lambeau Field. Lambeau Field. That sounds like the Green Bay Packers. There's this perspective out there that the Packers have had 30 years of 
amazing quarterback play. Mm-hmm. Over 30, almost 40 years of Hall of Famer. Of Hall of Fame quarterback play in just two Super Bowls to show for it. Brett Favre, legendary quarterback, one Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers, legendary quarterback, multiple MVPs, one Super Bowl. Kansas was going through the same thing, and it, it hit me. That's why that quote resonated with me so much, is that Kansas needs more national championships. Head coach Bill Self said that himself. That's why that – you see what I did there? The I whole like self that. Thing? I like that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. That's why that resonated with me so much is because it dawned on me that Jayhawk fans of college basketball are going through the same type of thing that Packer fans are. Because it's the the exact same thing. They're always looked at as one of the best teams in college basketball, but they only have the one national championship to show for it. Mm-hmm. They get back there every year, but then they fall short. What team that, sounds like what? – what is that the exact same layout of what NFL team? That's kind of funny you say that. I mean, literally yesterday, I was you know, watching on, on uh, Instagram, some friends of mine posted stories of them um, going to Kansas and yep. – you know, they're just celebrating the win. And I was like, wow, you know, like that's awesome or whatever. But it just seemed like a little bit in the moment. I was like, they feel like they won it like three years ago. Yeah. And I know that they haven't, but it just, it feels like Kansas is always so relevant in the tournament. It's like, I, it's kind of weird to think that they've, the last time they've won it was 2008. Yes. That is the exact point I'm trying to make. You're right. They're always relevant. They're mm-hmm. always that team in the top of the conference or top of the tournament. They're always going to be a one, two seed. Mm-hmm. They're always going to get into the Elite Eight, Final Four, but and then they lose and just go, wow, you know, that team that beat them is probably going to win the national championship because they're so good. Yep. And then it's like you just kind of forget about Kansas, and then they get to a national championship, and you're like, holy cow, it's been <laughs> almost 15 years since they won a national championship last. And Kansas is going through that same type of drought for championships. A team that's been there 10 times and now has acquired their fourth national championship. So good for them. On the other end, Briefly before we move on, good for Hubert Davis yeah. as head coach. The first year that he takes over this North Carolina Tar Heel program from Roy Williams, who spent decades in UNC winning national champions, another one of those teams that are just always relevant, are always successful, always top-seeded. Teams, these are teams that are always going to make the tournament. Like mm-hmm. You're never going to see UNC in a NIT. You know, you're never going to see Baylor play at NIT. They're always going to be in the March Madness tournament and high-seeded at that. But for a coaching change to partake, you start to think there's going to be some growing pains. Yep. You start to think, I don't know if they're going to be that good this year. You know, he, the, Especially in college, they don't have their recruiting class when mm-hmm. a new head coach comes in. They don't have their systems in place with the new players. They have to win over some of the old players. And it's like there's a lot of – you know, this is going to take two to three years for this team to be successful. A lot of what-ifs. A lot of what-ifs. A lot of uncertainties. Mm-hmm. And then Hubert Davis comes in, and boy, was he the man for the job. Picking up right where Roy Williams left off and taking this team to a national champion. Taking this team not just to a national championship, but to a 16-point lead in the national championship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. think about that. As an eight seed. That close, you know. North Carolina. It's a high ceiling to set. For years to come. <laughs> it is. Especially because, like you say, college is so interesting. I mean, now you wonder, and I'm not taking away from the year that he had coached, but you know, how many of these players are players that were brought in in yeah. previous years? And how, yeah. you know, how is the draft, uh, not the draft class, excuse me, the uh, recruiting class going to you know, transfer over? And three years from now, what is recruiting going to look like? And so 
hopefully they can continue this momentum. And this this only might help his case now. It's like, hey, look, first year here, and I made it all the way to the Natty. Let's go win it. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, it's a lot to build off of. I mean, Hubert Davis has done just a, an amazing job with the UNC program. This is a team that's probably, <laughs> again, not a lot of hot takes in this segment. I'm just, I feel like I'm pointing out the obvious, which mm-hmm. is something I don't like to do, but it needs to be said. Like in this discussion, it needs to be said, UNC is going to be good for years to come. Like that needs to be said. It might seem obvious. It might seem like the easy take. And, you know, it's not hot takes. I'm not out here to say the hot take. You know, I'm not out here to create and spark debate at every turn. But UNC is just going to be one of those teams that's going to stay relevant for the next decade, next decade and a half under Hubert Davis once he gets his recruiting class in. UNC is going to win a national championship in the next five years. Are they going to be more successful than Duke with 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 uh, Coach K coming See, out here? Prime Duke is like Final Four every year. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to ask. Like I don't yeah. ever want to compare someone and say, this team is going to go to the Final Four every single year. Right. You know, because you know, things happen. It's the March Madness bracket. You know, Arizona was knocked off in the Sweet 16. I mean, like, things happen. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to make that prediction. But, yeah, probably. I mean, this is the next echelon of college basketball. I mean, it is teams like Duke. It is Kentucky. Even though Kentucky hasn't been Kentucky over the last couple of seasons. But it's been Duke. It's been Kentucky. It's been Gonzaga every single year. It's been Villanova mm-hmm. year after year. And, you know, I remember... Speaking about longevity, I remember watching college basketball games in the March Madness tournament with Grandpa, Grandpa Frank, mm-hmm. who passed away in 2016. So when we, me and him were watching basketball, I mean, this is over a decade ago, or about a decade ago. And I remember teams like Gonzaga being good. I remember teams like Duke being good. I remember mm-hmm. te- Like, this is the next echelon that UNC is in, that, that Gonzaga is in, that Duke is in, that Villanova is in. These are teams that are going to be in the Final Four for a time coming it's not like a wisconsin and i hate to say that point i hate to make that comparison because it was like wisconsin had those two magical years Mm -hmm. where they go to the final four and they fall just short and then the next year they knock off kentucky at 38 and all the team that everybody had and there's that kentucky team i mentioned that everybody had winning the national championship undefeated to that point wisconsin knocked them off went into the national championship and lost to duke I hate to make that comparison because it brings up these memories where it's like they had those two glory years mm-hmm. and then Bo Ryan stepped away from the program. Then recruiting was never the same. Frank Kaminsky went in and I think he got drafted by the Hornets. Mm-hmm. And then Sam Decker went to play overseas and it's just like the team kind of fell apart. And the, It's hard to get that recruiting style and that class again. So I'm not like, oh, how underachieving is Wisconsin as a basketball program? But like it just kind of sucks because they had their their prime right. run, never won a national championship, and then they weren't in that. You know, if you're in that upper echelon, you have to consistently make final fours, yeah. and national well, championships, and that just brings you know notoriety to your program, and that 100%. brings players wanting you know they want to go to those schools. Yep. And so to be able to capitalize on not only you know the chance to win a national championship, but then also riding out the recruitment wave that comes in after there, it's really important. 100%. And so basically Duke's going to need to make a splash at a coaching position here because it's going to be Yeah. It's going to be important. Like when I th- I'm not worried when I said that a couple minutes ago like when programs in college switch over coaches, mm-hmm. there's a lot of time that goes into it because you know you have to find the right guy, they have to get the recruiting class. Like there's a lot of what ifs like you said, there's a lot of uncertainties like it's just going to take some time to really find their groove. I'm not worried with Duke because Duke is like a very successful, like a, like a New York Yankee program or like a Boston Red Sox organization or like the Green Bay Packers or the Dodgers or whatever. Like once they lose one of their coaches, 
they are going to get the highest guy because this is a job. Like Duke basketball is a job that people will leave their jobs for. What I mean by that is D1 coaches will leave their D1 positions for a higher D1 like because they're that next echelon. It's Duke basketball. Like You would leave coaching Maryland basketball for for Duke. You would leave coaching Houston for Duke because mm-hmm. it's Duke. Like This is the type of job that everybody is going to be wanting because it's Duke. I mean, this is tradition. So they are going to have a lot of options to pick from in terms of head coaching talent, and they're going to make the right move. There's no doubt in my mind. So things will turn out for Duke. But that'll do it for our first segment. Will, do you want to make a transition to Devontae Parker? No, I'm not really feeling it today, no. <laughs> okay. I'm done. Okay. You had your moment in the sun, and now I yep. have to take it. That's okay. That was our first segment. Uh, hats off to both Kansas for winning their fourth national championship and second under Bill Self, and then hats off to North Carolina for Hubert Davis getting to the national championship in his first year. With that transition from college basketball to the NFL, I want to talk the Devontae Parker trade because a certain wide receiver who is maybe a few seasons removed from his prime or maybe right in the middle of his prime, it's hard to tell which one it's at yet. He's a productive wide receiver. He's a yeah. big-name wide receiver who with a with a quarterback that is not Tua Tungavailoa or Ryan Fitzgerald or Ryan Tannehill. So the point is that once Devontae Parker gets – that quarterback like he is going right. to be a pro bowl wide receiver any receiver that is. succeeds in a team like atmosphere like that they're a pretty darn good receiver right so what are we saying like this is a good wide receiver in the yeah. nfl he just got traded from the dolphins to the new england patriots in division yeah in the same division which is wild to me for a 2023 third round draft pick not even this year Next year's third-round draft pick for Devontae Parker. Not to mention, not only did the Dolphins take it and were like, yeah, let's do this swap, Mm -hmm. but they also sent a 2023 fifth-round pick to the Pats. Like, they are just gifting New England the division at this point. Like, here, take it. We don't want to be successful. Take one of our best players, and you know what? Take a fifth-round draft pick next year. What the heck? (laughs) Like, what are you doing if you are Miami? Right. The only thing, you know, we really can assume is it's just cap space clearing. I guess. It, and really, it's kind of it just doesn't make much sense though because it, it's a five mil hit this year, and then a, a or five point six this year, and then a five point seven hit in twenty twenty three. But that's not that much money when you to think an grand NFL scheme. Team, no, ten years over ten million over two years is like come on. Right. It's not that much. I mean, I grant I get that they paid Tyreek way too much. Right. Well, that's the thing though. Is okay. You're going to go out and sign or, I guess, trade and then extend Tyreek Hill for so much money. Mm-hmm. That shows me that you are all in on this year. That shows me that you have that you know that you have the top two wide receivers on your – like you have the one-two punch that mm-hmm. you are looking for. Tyreek Hill on one side, Devontae Parker on the other, and it's like defenses are going to scurry trying to cover those two guys. And then you trade one away. Yeah. What? For that, for a third-round pick, and you give up one of your fifth-rounders. Mm-hmm. That, and that's, I mean, Un- that's a relatively cheap contract for a receiver, especially pairing that with Jalen Waddle too. I mean, oh, that yeah. would that would have been a lethal offense. I really, that trade just doesn't, there's no, like, r- logic behind it, really, besides just cap space clearing, but that's five mil. 
maybe with guys like Waddle and Hill that they feel like, you know, we can take, you know, let's, right. you're right, maybe it's a cap room move. I don't know, though, because it's like you have the wide receiver core that you were looking for, mm-hmm. like the teams would kill for. Like yeah. It's not like the best wide receiver core ever, but it's like a highly productive wide receiver core. I mean, I'd like that receiving core. <laughs> exactly. Like any team would pay, <laughs> would kill to have that receiving core. Now yeah. you're going to break it up for a, th- for a third round draft pick next year? Like who are you scouting? Right. In the college football world, it's going to be available in the third round next year that you're like, yeah, we'll take that. Well, what? Especially unbelievable. The in division thing doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, that too. If, if get them out were, of division, right? If it were, you know, a second, two seconds or something, then it would be a little more. You kind of think about it, you know, because second round players pretty likely to hit. Yeah, and the, it just I don't know. It's, it's, the, <laughs> the Patriots are a team that with a with a player like Devontae Parker, they're that much more dangerous. Yeah. Exactly, and now it. I mean, the Dolphins were looking to be top top ish of the division, you know, depending on Tua's play, which that's like flipping a coin. But see, but here's the thing: like you and I are both sitting here trying to discuss this for a sports talk podcast, and we are both stunned. Like, kinda, we, are, we are both baffled at yeah. this move. You, you know what I'm even more baffled about? We couldn't benefit from it. Why couldn't Green Bay make an offer? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the next thing we're going to talk about. You you hit it right on the head. Great transition. You hit it right on the head. Why couldn't the Packers have given this call? A team with draft picks for this year up mm-hmm. the wazoo. Yeah. After the Devontae Adams trade, I mean, you got five picks in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Two in the first, two in the second, one in the third. Could you not have given up the third rounder this year or at least the back end, like the, the lower or suppose higher, like the later of the second round draft picks for Devontae? Parker, what? Why Why did the Packers not make this call? I mean, that would have made the most sense, especially to get him out of division for yeah. the Dolphins if you're going to trade him or offload him. And I think Goody was quoted as saying, like, oh, we were interested in him, but, like, that means nothing nowadays. See, here's the thing. If you were interested in him, then you knew that it was only going to take a third rounder next yeah. year to get him. Right. And you didn't pull the trigger on it. And so, I, like, that doesn't that, – that, you're not off the hook for that. Right. And you sort of have to wonder if they're hoping – the way the wide receiver market is right now, that a lot of these teams are waiting draft time yeah, up to the draft. And maybe they're, you know, waiting to see how uh, first round plays out. Maybe they get a receiver first round and they don't really need to waste trading picks. You know, hands, wipe the hands on. You don't need to worry about it. Exactly. But that's a lot of risk. That's a lot of risk to assume. That, the- that, that basically assumes that your guy is going to fall to you at 22. Nobody's yep. going to trade up and take him before you, yep. which that could happen, yes, but it's also likely that there are 31 other teams that are going to want that guy too. There's a lot of risk involved in this, and, and maybe that wasn't their guy either. Maybe. The other thing to consider is I believe I saw somewhere, and I you know don't quote me exactly on the numbers, but Green Bay is like around 15 mil free cap space right now, so when you factor in it, you know it's going to cost at least probably 12 million to sign a draft class. That 5 million cap hit, that Devontae Parker's contract would have been, would have been, uh, they couldn't afford it. That's a fair point. That's a really good point. Maybe that was the one thing holding them back, but still, it's like... It's cheap. That's cheap. You see, and you and I were talking Mm pre-show. If the Packers 
were to trade one or two of their draft picks, like a third rounder and a fifth rounder, then, then that's money out of right. the cap space that they have to use on their draft picks because those are it's one or two less yep. draft picks that they would have made. Mm-hmm. Like it was right there for you to make yeah. if you just showed some aggressiveness. I know the Packers are a team that sits here and works and progresses in-house. Mm-hmm. Like they, they grows their organization through their draft picks and developing guys. I know that. But still. I mean, like, this one could have fallen in your lap if you just would have said, take the later pick of our second round draft picks and give us Devontae Parker. Right. And maybe you could have asked for that fifth rounder in return, maybe next year or this year. It's like this This could have been so easy if you just showed a little aggressiveness. I mean, it was right there in your hands, and you'd let it slip away to the Patriots. And Come on, man. Like that, 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 This could have gone so different. And in terms of contract expense... I think a free agent receiver is probably going to be more expensive than than yeah. uh, Devontae Parker would have been. Yep. So there's a lot of trade-offs here, and I think I'm going to remain optimistic in that Green Bay feels that the draft is going to fall their way, although that is a scary thought to consider just based on how the last you know three years' drafts is just it's been up and down. I'm going to make one last point, and then we're going to move on because we can't spend all day talking about this. We do have one more segment to get to, but mm-hmm. it's like the, the narrative has been that the Packers don't give tools to Aaron Rodgers, and I don't know that that's true. I mean, you know, it's been like Packer tools. It's been like Jordy Nelson. It's been yeah. Randall Cobb. I mean, it's like they, they're they a team Tanyan. that focuses on development. Yeah, exactly. You know, guys that he likes, mm-hmm. that he's willing, that the Packers are willing to keep, not necessarily a Jared Cook who came from out of house to play for the Packers, not necessarily a Jimmy Graham who did the same thing, but... I mean, those, that's another great example. They go sign guys like Jared Cook and Robert, and uh, Martellus Bennett, and they go out and sign guys like Jimmy Graham. They don't pan out because they're the, those guys were all old tight ends. But still, it's like the Packers, it's not like they don't give tools to Aaron Rodgers. But at the same time, it's like that's this is an opportunity that they just let go right past. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Like To consider, outside of Martellus Bennett, or maybe Mercedes Lewis, because he's a good player. Yep. I can't just, and, and strictly talking offense here, and I know we're trying to get away from this conversation, but there we're, are hardly any players that they've signed through free agency on the offensive side of the ball that have stuck around long term. Yeah. You know, Alan Lazard was a free agent guy, but he wasn't like some big name at at that time. Right. He's I worked what you're up. Saying. Like you're saying like big market name. Yeah. Martellus Bennett played for like, Two weeks and he's like, "Nah, I'm good." <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and he asked out. And maybe they're worried about that. Maybe you know, maybe that's that insecurity, like, mm-hmm. like the whole. I don't want to bring Will Smith into this because I don't want to keep dragging down Will Smith, right? And make fun of a but, situation that could be real. But it's like that—that that someone who gets, you know, cheated on or whatever. Yeah, and they're like hurt to get back in a relationship. It's almost like the same thing here. Like you get hurt. By signing a free agent, so you're mm-hmm. hesitant to do it again. Right, it's just in the back of your mind that this might not pan out. We might have to pay this guy huge money for lack of production. It's certainly possible. There's more value in kind of taking a player in the draft and and setting that like, okay, this is my team yeah. kind of mindset to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's cheaper in the long run. <laughs> Could be. Who knows what's going on in the Packers front office with this? I mean, they've done a great job this offseason. Yeah. I don't want to make it seem like I'm completely bashing them, but no. it just infuriates me to see a player like Devontae Parker go yeah. right by. They did they did sign the greatest quarterback of all time, so yeah. hard they, to they did spend $150 million for the next three years. Hard to follow that up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're they're talking about money that I could never even imagine. So oh whatever. We'll move on uh, with the Tony G show. Our final segment today. 
Predictions for the Masters this weekend. A lot of things up in the air. Masters weekend. Uh, the final round of the tournament is on Sunday. The big one, the big thing that everybody's talking about is, is Tiger Woods going to play? Remember, he had that huge injury following the car accident just about 14 months ago. You mm-hmm. and I discussed it on the Tony G Show right when that happened because it was so unbelievable that Tiger Woods was in this huge high-speed crash where he just kind of like went off the road. And Thankful for his big and safe SUV. He's still alive. He's still walking. He's still much uh, as big of a part of the golf world as he ever has been. Felt like deja vu. Yeah, almost. Because of all the injuries he's gone through. So is Tiger going to play? He made the trip out, and just this morning of the recording of this Tony G show, he said he's going to go. He was practicing yesterday, and he says he feels good enough to play, so he's going to try and perform in the Masters. I want to make a prediction here, and I don't want to be the rain on the parade guy or just saying something, you know, negative to say something negative, but I almost, like, I really feel like I don't know. I want Tiger to do great. Mm -hmm. Like, so again, I'm really hesitant to say this because I don't want to seem like the negative Nancy just trying to rain on the fact that Tiger Woods, one of the all-time greats, is going to perform in this Masters tournament. But I just don't feel like Tiger Woods is really, like, he's 14 months removed from a huge car accident in a career filled with injuries over the last decade. And it just doesn't feel like, you know, he doesn't have the type of practice. Granted, he's been golfing at home. You know, he has this big whatever island that he golfs on. (laughs) But it just, like, the in-round competition, it kind of feels to me like he is going to be someone who is going to get cut from the pack or is not going to be able to perform in the final round. Like, so I don't, I'm just hesitant about this because I don't want to seem like I'm just trying to be the devil's advocate here. But it's almost, you know, Tiger Woods... People see that he's going to play, and everyone's like, oh, he's going to be in, like, the top ten. I don't know. I'd love for that to happen. I'd, I want that to happen. I just don't, like, within me, I honestly don't The realistic don't like person realism, inside of you. Realism sets in here. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to turn out that way. I kind of feel like he's not going to be able to perform. He's going to go first round, maybe second round. Well, maybe not perform as well, or maybe, you know, start to have his back act up. And, you know, something's going to happen where he won't be able to perform. And wasn't it, whenever he was recovering from his injuries... Was that maybe our sophomore year, maybe two years ago, or maybe yeah. even freshman year, maybe three years ago? I feel like his play initially was very like average. Yeah, and then it was over time he actually started to look like his old self again. So it'd be pretty drastic to assume that he's going to be top ten, fourteen months out of this massive injury. Right, exactly. So I, you know, just temper your expectations with Tiger Woods performing. Mm-hmm. It's great to see him perform in a Masters tournament. And it's something you're going to want to watch regardless. So as for predictions, looking at odds, you know, Tony G does his homework. He knew it was going to make its way into today's episode. He knew it was going to happen. Looking at odds, the odds-on favorite is John Rahm, who has four consecutive top ten finishes in Masters tournaments. Um, Someone I also looked at, one of my uh, golfer that I like watching perform is Brooks Kepka. He's back to fully healthy. He was cut from the field in 2021 after the second round. Um Highest he's ever finished in the Masters was second in 2019. He, he's the type of guy that's ready for a green jacket. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone that who has a lot of fans, who has a lot of, who has a big, uh, what's the way to put this? Like a big listenership. Like he's not a podcaster, but no, like, he's got a good following. He's got a big following. You know, he he's a guy who's very popular mm-hmm. with the golf world. So it seems like he's ready to get his green jacket. But for me, you know, and I would like to see Brooks. I like Brooks, uh, the type of personality he has and the type of golfer he is. But for me. I'm going to go with the winner of the Masters Tournament in 2020, who is Dustin Johnson. He was cut from the field last year in 2021. Mm-hmm. 
scoring five over par after that second round. He's hungry. He's determined to prove himself to Augusta again. He is at plus 1,600 odds to win. That's the fourth best odds, according to Vegas Insider. And not to mention, as someone who's really taken up golfing in the last couple of years, this guy is a swing I like to watch. Mm-hmm. Try to big emulate coil, it. big, powerful swing, long drives, you know, kind of like Will on the golf course. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm a little bit mad we didn't get an invite. <laughs> <laughs> really? How come we didn't qualify? I mean... They haven't seen my five-yard drive into the trees, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, I miss golf. They, I do, I too. I miss our golf updates from season seven. They could have brought us in as, like, comedic relief. <laughs> <laughs> and now, oh, the members of the Tony G Show. 50 over par. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. Augusta, I, from what I hear, is a hard course, too. Like, a very difficult course. To so, play. it'd be, like, pre-medium difficulty for us. <laughs> So it'd be a blow, a blow by. On a good day. We could do it with one arm. On a good day. I don't know that you can golf with one arm, though. So I guess I could. Uh, joke didn't land. All right. Back no. to Dustin Johnson, though. He is my Tony G's pick to win the Masters Tournament this year. What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting pick. I feel like that 2020 run from him is pretty good at... Yeah. He's a guy who has experience with winning right. a green jacket. You know, he's hungry. Like I said, he's hungry to win yeah. to prove himself after being cut in 2021. I like that take. Thank you. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree. I, I think the Tiger stuff has been – I really don't even read it really because it just feels like it's such like – it seems like clickbait at this point, especially on social media. I, I, I think Tiger is really good, but I don't think this is his year to win Masters. I hope I'm wrong. Exactly. I'd love to see it. That was a magical run. I have that Sports Illustrated when he won it a few years ago, framed and in my mm-hmm. and in my uh, in my room at home. So, you know, we'll that was a, that was a magical moment. Hopefully, we get a second one. I'm not saying that it would be bad if we did, but I'm just saying realistically, probably not. Mm-hmm. Are the bird noises at the Masters fake or real? You know, it seems like because everybody gets quiet when someone's about to make a shot. Mm-hmm. And then Augusta being Augusta and how beautiful it is. Do they pipe in the bird noise? Or is there actually that many birds? And then that brings in the whole conspiracy. Are birds real That's or what are I was birds say. fake? Like, if all birds are fake, then you <laughs> no. Maybe there's like, maybe they hire people to whistle bird calls <laughs> see, in the background. See, like, that's a funny way to think of it. But like, realistically, if they were going to pipe in noise, like there are so many trees at Augusta yeah. that you just put speakers way high in the trees and then you blast out, you know, you all hook them up to like one iPod and you just play bird noises all day long. And then they get, <laughs> like, a, they get a YouTube ad in somewhere like in the middle. Who, who would be like, no, that's not real. <laughs> they have like, they pull up like 10 hour bird noise video <laughs> on YouTube and then there's like, and there's an ad at like three minutes or something. Yep. Yep. <laughs> See, I mean... That's a good question. I, yeah, because it does. It's pretty loud, isn't it? I'd like to see Augusta when it's not the Masters. Like, bring me to Augusta in like September. Yeah, and then let me hear if there's actually birds. Or maybe it's like a broadcast add-on. See, because because there was birds, like there was birds every tournament in April, and there was birds in when do they do it in like August or November or something like that. Yeah, because when, of COVID, yeah, they couldn't right, do it right. in April, so they did it uh, later. And birds were still loud then. You know, I wonder. That could be a broadcast thing too. Like they have a mic, like a dedicated bird mic. Yeah. And they're like, all right, let's crank the that like background noise. Yep. I That's could really point. see that being a. Let's we'll we'll figure it out. Because we'll get back to you. The whole point is to make Augusta look that more beautiful. You know, increase the stock of Augusta National. Are you looking up? Are the birds real? 
I love it. Live research on the Tony G show. Let me know what you found because it's so interesting to me because it sounds so genuine and natural, but it's like almost too natural. Like the bird calls are almost too consistent for it to be like, hmm. yeah, these are real birds. According to Business Insider, which I'm not going to speak if they're credible or not, um, I think uh, whatever. Um, it says birds are also mysteriously rarely seen at Augusta National. Really? There's a quote saying, "Also, there are no birds, squirrels, insects, or other living creatures indigenous to the planet Earth at the Masters." That seems like a bit. That seems like a bit much. How could See, that be but you, possible? You don't know if you can refute that, though. That's true. I don't. But I mean, insects. You're telling me there's not like a fly on the course, or a mosquito. That's wild. What's going on at Augusta? If that's the case, if that's true, what's going on? Is Augusta real? Is Augusta real? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we in a simulation? <laughs> See, now now we're bringing up. You know, we're gonna have a whole second episode talking about this type of stuff. Just like like at, late at night, looking into the stars, talking about the yeah. world type stuff. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder. I want to visit Augusta now. I mean, and, and of course, it's like a golfer's dream. So it's like saying, you know. I, I want a big chocolate cake in front of me when you're saying I want to go to an Augusta. Like every golfer wants to go to Augusta. You know what I mean? But Next time we golf, it'll be there. Sure. Sure. We'll do it. Yeah. I'll yeah. watch you golf. I mean, we could just walk up on the course and they'll be like, oh my God, that's the Tony G. Those are the ca- that's the cast of the Tony G show. Yep. Get them out on the court. You yep. know what I mean? Okay. Exactly. All right. Then I'll just chew up their, uh, their nice grass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just whack one of those mm-hmm. trees. Really good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the type of golfers we are. I miss our golf updates. That's interesting. Birds are not real at the Masters, mm. apparently. Apparently. Or are they at all in real life? Now they're bringing up the let whole us, are birds real discussion. Let us know on Twitter. That's a great point. Yeah, Will is 5312 at Tony G Nation on Twitter. There's a way for you to contact the Tony G Show at TonyGNation.com on the website. So let us know what you think. Are birds real? Are birds at Augusta real? Is Augusta real? You should put a poll. We're polling it. Yes. Right after this episode, you listen to this episode, this is a Tuesday, March put it, 5th. You put it on with the episode. Like, It'll be open until March 6th. Uh-huh. Are birds real? Great job, Let's Will. Let's do that. A-plus rating for Will McCormick today. I get that raise. Man, oh, man. <laughs> what a beautiful performance by Will McCormick today. You are something else, man. Hall of Fame worthy. Hall of Fame worthy. In terms of co-host for the Tony G Show, you are Hall of Fame worthy. Not to mention you're the only, <laughs> only co-host one. in the history of the Tony so. G Show. So, I mean, like, you're kind of a no-brainer for right. that. Right. All right. Well, that'll do it. I mean, ending the show on a high note. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. Let's call this show off. No. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, we'll be back on Thursday. Remember, tomorrow I'm going to collab with Root for Wisconsin, so that'll be a good turnout. And, um... However that episode is available, I'll make sure I make that clear to Tony G Nation. So just just keep in touch with Tony G and the Tony G Show, and, and we'll be talking soon. Thursday at our next episode. We'll see you then for Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. This is the Tony G Show.